Well, hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, one of the very few podcasts in English entirely devoted to the greatest competition in South America, the Copa Libertadores. We're at the semi-final stage of the competition. We've had the first legs. This week coming up, we'll see the second legs, the Super Classico in Buenos Aires at La Bombonera between Boca Juniors and River Plate, with River leading 2-0 from the first leg. And the second game is between Flamenco and Gremio at the Maracanar, one all from that first leg. This week, it was me in Buenos Aires and joined by Mr. Oliver Wilson, who's back on home turf in London. Ollie. Hello, Dave. I uh, I feel like Pele during his stint with the Whoa, New York what? Cosmos <laughs> okay. right now because I've just played five-a-side football and I tell you what, my knees are about as shot as his were when he was playing for the New York Cosmos and he could barely change direction and couldn't run. But unfortunately, I don't really have any of his skill either. So uh, I'm more than happy to sit back and relax this Monday evening and just chat all things Libertadores with you while nice. I put ice packs on my knees. It started as an arrogant analogy and it quickly became humble, Ollie. So that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a nice turn. I feel like Pele. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, this week we were discussing the semifinals and we were joined via the medium of a WhatsApp voice note by Pedro, who is a big Flamengo fan, was talking about that semifinal second leg. But Ollie, we were not with Golasso, Peter Coates, Joel Richards or Nico. All three are busy, unavailable. Nico, I hear, has taken a vow of silence after running his mouth too much before the first leg of the uh, Super Classico semi-final of the Libertadores. Joel Richards is, of course, out in uh, Santiago, Chile, braving the elements. He tries to report mm. on what's going on there. And I hope we, you're well, Joel. And we probably should reference that at some point, maybe in, later on in the week when we uh, look back at the semi-final second legs, because, you know, that could be a problem with the Libertadores final being there. And Peter Coates, we all know, is in a queue that is currently going around the block somewhere in Palermo, Soho, looking for the brand new Adidas Originals uh, football shorts. I think he actually was at an under-17s game uh, this weekend as well, Wilson. So I don't, I don't think there's any exaggeration there. <laughs> the guy Check loves out Ogalas. <laughs> yes, he loves it. Ogalas' stuff, uh, uh, yeah, it's very, very much uh, well worth a read. All right, enjoy the podcast. Apila takes it down, takes the strike on, and fires Boca in front. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner, double delight on the night for Flamengo. Decisive from 12 yards, and the Brazilians are well and truly in the driving seat now. charm is slowly but very surely winning me round. I can I can see the beauty in Buenos Aires. It's not it's not evident the first time you come to the city, but uh, yeah, poco a poco, I, I really like it here, so it's nice. And I'm in Buenos Aires, and you, of course, are in Big Bad London, or close enough. Yeah, I think it's really nice that uh, you you are coming around to enjoying Buenos Aires once again and uh, enjoying being out there. And it's great because you're doing it just before. The city burns to the ground with <laughs> the elections coming up this coming weekend. And of mm. course, uh, there's, a, there's a reasonably important football game taking place as well in the week. So I think that's going to cause some problems too. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's just go back 
over what happened. It was three weeks. You know, it's a sizable gap between the first and the second legs of these games, of course. In the first leg between River Plate and Boca at the Monumental, uh, River Plate won 2-0. And the chasm in quality was was quite astonishing, to be honest. Uh, River got the early goal with a penalty, which was dispatched by Borre. Bit of a contentious pen, but I think it's the right decision after a VAR check. And uh, in the second half, Nacho Fernandez made it two. Skocker could have made it three at the end. I'm glad he didn't. River have a comprehensive lead going into the second leg of the Libertadores semi-final. And Bar, I was going to say, we were chatting on WhatsApp, Ollie, before the pod, and I was going to say, Boca need a miracle. But they don't need a miracle, do they? To turn two goals so, around, it's not a miracle. Well, particularly uh, on home soil and the record they have on home soil, the a wonderful defensive side in terms of keeping clean sheets uh, this season in, in the Primera Division in uh, in Argentina and their record on home soil in the Libertadores speaks for itself as well. So you would bet on Boca winning. The only difference is, is that it is quite a mountain to climb when you look at the golfing quality that we had in the first leg between these two teams, because look, the the first leg plan went completely out of the window for Boca after seven minutes. And that was a awful turn of events on. I mean, you say it's probably a penalty. I'm going to still call it a dubious penalty. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Boca fan, you're arguing that's never a penalty. And they're probably still arguing it till they're blue and blue and yellow in the face at the moment. <laughs> but it wouldn't it wouldn't be a miraculous come from behind victory. I think if you won, if you're a Boca fan and you saw them win three nil, you would put that up there with one of the all-time great comebacks in the Libertadores history and in Boca's Libertadores history because of the hole they've dug themselves in. But if they win two nil and then it goes to uh, penalties as well, of course we don't have extra time aside from in the final in the uh, Comebol Libertadores this year. Then, yeah, it's, it's but it's, there's almost an air of expectation I think from Boca fans that. Yeah, we'll turn it around because there is always that air of expectation. We've heard from Nico time and time again and, and ribbed him mercilessly about the fact that there is that level of arrogance with some Boca fans that the expectation is there that they will win and just get the job done. I think what's really but, interesting is, is just prior to the semi-final, of course, all the talk was about revenge for Boca Juniors. River, of course, beating Boca in the final last year, the second leg of which was, of course, ultimately played in Madrid the biggest Super Classico of all time. And this was seen as an opportunity for Boca to gain revenge. Not quite the same level of revenge, but revenge nonetheless. But having lost the first leg, Boca, by two goals to nil, if they were to come back from this against what is a far superior River Plate side, and that's undeniable, I think, from Boca and River fans, despite expectation from Boca supporters, if Boca were to come round and win 3-0 at La Bombonera on Tuesday night in Buenos Aires, I wonder where that would rank, you know. would That would be... Given the quality of both sides, given what happened last year, and it's a huge if and I don't think it's going to happen, but that would be quite astonishing. It would exercise some demons yep. from last year, for sure. Um, I mean, Gustavo Alfaro would be considered the miracle worker and they would, Get that fans statue. would classify it <laughs> as being the miracle worker. Yeah, the statue's... <laughs> They're probably uh, getting the mould sorted for it just in case. They just need to pour in the bronze once the uh, 90 minutes are done later on this week. Now, it would be it would be fantastic for Boca. It would it will ne- nothing will ever surmount to what happened last year in terms of really getting revenge. And I think we've spoken on that throughout the mm. course of this competition in the knockout stages in particular. But it would be a pretty good way of getting it done. The only thing it the only way it would be better is if they did it in the Monumental, I think, because you'd be doing it in River Plate's back garden. But instead, like, fine, we'll bring you home. 
We'll show you that we're the better side. We'll be on home soil. We'll have the bombonera behind us. The chocolate box will be bouncing, and we're gonna we're gonna take the roof off this thing, even though they have no roof on it anyway. And uh, and we're gonna beat you and go through to the Libertadores final, and then we'll go to Santiago Chile and win that. And that will be the middle finger up against you, River Plate, when you thought you had it won, like everybody else thinks you have this tie won already. Because we've even said on the last podcast, this is probably wrapped up for River Plate at this point with a two nil advantage. And perhaps we were just a little too early to jump the gun with that. Well, I think on everything we've seen from River and Boca in that first leg, it, it's a completely fair assumption. I also think that, you know, it, it's it's going to be very, it's going to be a warm night, actually, a warm mid-spring night uh, tomorrow, Tuesday in Buenos Aires. And yes, River a better side. Yes, Boca are two goals down. But in the moments prior to kickoff, the Boca fans, they're really, really going to believe. And you can just see it. They get an early free kick. They load the penalty area. They nick a goal. Something lucky happens. And all of a sudden, things change. You know, things could change so quickly in football. If everything, you know, bar something miraculous, River go through and um, and Boca go out. That's what should happen. But, you know, who knows? Um, we, you know, we also for Boca... We talked a lot about, and we have talked a lot, and everyone talks a lot about Gustavo Alfaro being such a defensive coach, which is fine if you're nicking games 1-0. But the minute you've got to chase a two-goal deficit, it becomes a big, big problem. There's been a lot of talk, Ollie, in the Argentine media this week. I mean, there's a lot of talk anyway. There's 24-hour chat shows seemingly entirely dedicated to the Super Classico. It's like something I've it's never seen. It's a lot seen of mate. It's a it's lot, a lot, lot of, of mate, mate drunk. drunk. It's a lot of discussion, which... Is I actually find quite hypnotic, and I sort of tended to fall asleep to the uh, that Fox Sports radio show. It's uh, <laughs> it's absolutely mesmerising, mate. But yeah, the, 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 the big kind of theme this week in Argentina, in the local press, has been: Does Alfaro, this veteran manager who's been a defensive coach throughout his entire career, does he suddenly throw all that out the window, go gung ho, play? Abila, a combination of Abila, Zarate and Tevez, two of the three, depending on who's fit, actually, because Abila and Tevez might not be fit. There was even talk today that De Rossi's training and he's going to start, which you'd think would be a bit mm. mad, um, given, you know, he hasn't really shown anything so far. He's been injured and, and you know, scored one goal in the cup. But my point is, do you think, do you think, Ollie, that a manager who's been defensive his entire career will suddenly change that mentality, play, play a really offensive lineup, Or does he stick to his guns and hope to pinch a set piece early and get to 2-2 get to in the tie and see what happens? I think he's got to be far more adventurous, um, mainly because this is a Boca side that we haven't seen play an adventurous style of football. What they have done throughout, particularly the knockout stages of this competition, is they have invited pressure on themselves when opposition have had to come out and attack them. You look at the victory against Atletico Paranaense in the first leg of the first round of the knockout stages where Boca were more than happy to invite them on when they were away from home and then try and hit on the counter-attack. In the same way, you look at the victory over Liga de Quito away from home and we thought altitude was going to be a problem. And again, it was just Liga de Quito. They knew they had to push on because they had to try and get a result to take back to Argentina because Boca are so good in the Bombonera or they felt they did, and that was the way that Boca could then hit on the counter-attack and have the space in behind. River Plate aren't going to afford them that in this game, in this in this second leg in any way, shape or form, because there is no reason at all for River Plate to try and overstretch themselves away from home in the Bombonera. I mean, Gachado's side can play some excellent attacking football going forward, but they can keep the ball very nicely as well. 
And for 90 minutes, they could treat this like a freaking training ground game yep. and knock it along the back line. That would be the best way to go out and beat this Boca side and not draw yourself out into stretching the game in any way, shape or form. Because that's the way that Boca have found success when they've faced real tough opposition in this competition. And force then Alfaro to be out of his comfort zone and throw caution to the wind a little bit more and then capitalise when you can. That's the only way that I see that Boca are going to be able to to make an impact in this second leg and really ruffle some river plate feathers. And it's also super interesting when you look at the combination between Boca, this this manager and this club that are suddenly thinking they're going to rip up what they're doing and, and try something completely new. There's been talk about uh, two wing-backs. There's been so many different variations uh, of what is doing in training. And then on the other side of uh, Buenos Aires, you've got River Plate, you've got Marcelo Gachado, who came out today and said, look, nothing's going to change. He, he basically admitted it would be the same starting eleven that won 2-0 at the Monumental. He said he's got... Uh, he's got such a strong bench, which he does now. Of course, Skocko's in great form, scored a couple of goals the other night. Prato will be on the bench as well. Uh, Quintero's back, of course, uh, won't start the game. He'll be on the bench. So they've got plenty in reserve. And you've got this kind of serene model of consistency with Gashada and River in juxtaposition with Boca's comparative chaos. Nothing on paper suggests that Boca will do it. But who knows, at the Bob Bonera, we've, we've both been in that ground and, you know, felt the air around the stadium and it special things can happen and it, it is football. Do you think, uh, just going on to uh, Quintero, you mentioned him and obviously he's somebody who has been actually really missed, I think, in River Plate in, in their side in terms of being that extra special spark in the final third and thankfully players like Nicolella Cruz have come to the forefront and been able to try and replicate some of his quality. Uh, but do you think there's any reason at all for Gachado to even think about bringing Quintero back into this game? He's only played what, a handful of minutes coming off uh, yeah. against uh, Arsenal de San Randi. And he looked good. The... He looked good. But uh, again, that is I mean, lower level opposition compared to what you're going to be playing against against Boca. The other thing is, is if Boca get frustrated, that could end up being a kicking game. It, you know, if the tie is done mm. with 20 minutes to go, there's going to be an air of, right, well, if you're going through, that's fine, but we're going to send you through with a few lumps on you as well. I'm not saying that is an intentional thing of Boca that they're going to, but sure, you but can see it happening. Human, it's yeah. a derby game, obviously. Yeah. So there's no there's no need to even draw him no. into the firing line in my eyes in any way, shape or form. I'd be surprised if he made his way onto the pitch, although we have been waiting for him to come back. No, I agree. I can't, even if, you know, whatever the score is, I... I unless Boca are miraculously 3-0 up, I just can't see Quintero even getting off the bench. I think Skocko's been in great form. Prato, you know, what you what you see is what you get with Prato. And uh, he's got a great record, actually, um, scoring against Boca. So I think there's no reason. He, he's in the bank, as they say here. And uh, if River get to the final, then Gachada, which is in uh, Santiago, as you mentioned, on the 23rd of November, that's a little bit more time for Quintero to get fully fit. And then Gachada's got a big decision to make, but that's probably a conversation for another day. We were talking... A little bit just pre-pod, Ollie, about recent form in the Argentine Superliga. And really, it's it's completely irrelevant. Boca lost at the weekend, River drew. But as we know, the Libertadores just trumps everything. And I think it's um, it's comparatively irrelevant, really. Yeah, uh, well, we spoke about recent form going into that first leg, about how Boca was so good defensively. And then they 
seemingly fell apart in the yeah. opening exchanges against River. So uh, any game between Boca and River, you can generally throw the uh, form guide out of the window. And then when you add it into this situation as well, it doesn't really mean a thing, which is almost kind of nice. Look, we've had an international break as well. That's meant that it's not been a case of like, we've been waiting for three weeks and we've had a host of games to dig our teeth into, to try and analyze these sides and the, the teams that they put out in the league and in the cup, in the Copa Libertadores are, are completely different starting 11s a lot of the time as well. Gachado, yeah. We'll be wearing the hoodie in the league and we'll be wearing the suits <laughs> <laughs> come midweek. I mean, it's chalk and cheese of how these two competitions are, are treated. So actually, the best thing you can do is you can look back at what happened in the Monumental and say, well, how can Boca recover from that? And as we've mentioned, it, it has to be a change. It has yeah. to be a change in the style and in the way they approach this. And maybe even like a Juan Hurtado, the youngster. Yeah, really physical, but very quick as well. Yes. Hasn't been given many opportunities, has had some opportunities since coming in uh, in the, I suppose, the winter window for, for Argentinian football. Uh, I've liked what I've seen in fits and spurts. He played in that first leg against Atletico Paranaense in the in the knockout stages and, and put a shift in. I'm not saying he's going to be a game changer, but they're going to need all of those attacking threats. And it might get to a case where kitchen sink comes flying out from Alfaro and he just chucks everything on and see what sees what happens in the final 40 minutes or so. You know, there could be a, a, a story for a youngster to make a huge impact suddenly. There's going to have to be one big hero in some way, shape or form in that game. And you could either see it falling to an experienced head like Carlos Tevez or perhaps an Alexis McAllister or Juan Hurtado if Boca are going to find a way through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you look at Salvio and Zarate perhaps as two other touches of quality if you know if they're fully fit going into it. But uh, we shall see. Also, the river, the river coach going into the stadium apparently is going to be flanked by 2,000 armed police officers, a couple of helicopters as well, after what happened to Boca's coach going to the Monumental for the final last year. So fingers crossed, Mr. Wilson, that it uh, passes off. Makes the journey. With, uh, exactly, um, passes off without serious incident going into the ground. I'm sure it will be a very calm and tranquil affair outside the Bombonera before that game. I mean... Yeah, this is the other thing that we've been kind of looking at. And I, I know there's obviously the, the elections coming up as well, the presidential elections in Argentina this coming weekend. It's a, it's the, excuse my language, but the clusterfuck that we've been talking about yeah, for a yeah. while. And it's all of these coming together. And yeah, I, it's going to be, it's going to be quite an emphatic night in midweek in the, uh, in the capital, that's for sure. And that will probably continue for the next few days as well. Yeah, absolutely. Should be fascinating, Ollie. As for- Do they do it? Do River do it or do Boca do it? Do Boca do it? Do Boca do it? Oh, man. I mean, I know that you've got to preface everything you say with, oh, this is football and anything can happen. There could be a red card and a pen in the first five minutes, but no chance. No chance. River play. No chance. They're, they're, <laughs> they're so much better at football. They're so they're... much better at football. They have the better manager by a mile. Uh, I just, I can't, I cannot see it. Could I put in one uh, sub clause to that, Oli? Sure. The sure. best Boca player I've seen in the Libertadores this year is Mara Zarate. And if he scores, then I'm allowed to negate what I just said about River. Because I just, he's the one for me. I know Salvio's good on his day. And Carlos Tevez, if he can roll back the years. And Abila can be effective. McAllister too. But Zarate for me is the touch of quality um, in, the, in and around the penalty area. So if he has a fantastic night, that's the only slither I'm going to give them. What about you? If Boca can win the midfield battle, if they can control the heart of the pitch and retain possession, because you can't let River just dwell on the ball and then dominate the middle of the park, that will give give them 
two-thirds of the pitch to be safe. But if Boca can do that, I'm saying there's a chance on home soil. We've seen miracles happen. We've seen some emphatic finishes uh, in the end of the group stage between Atletico, Para- Atletico Paranaense and, uh, and Boca when Beautiful. Tevez got yeah. that last-minute winner. So, I mean, it, they've, yeah. they've pulled out all the stops on home soil at the right time already in this competition. They're a, they're a side that do never say die. And as and a to- that, as that, that's a fear. Yeah, and as a total neutral in this, I would love to see Boca score the first goal. There's nothing I'd like more to see Boca score the first goal and La Bombonera erupt and Gashada look a little bit, you know, um, ruffled and suddenly the tie to be on again. But just speaking purely objectively, I, I can't see it. But um, vamos a ver. We shall see. We shall see. What about the other half of the draw? Mr. Wilson between Flamengo and Gremio at the Maracanã in this, their second leg of this Copa Libertadores tie. The first leg was great between Gremio and Flamengo. Finished one apiece. Flamengo had about four goals ruled out for, uh, well, four goals disallowed after VAR checks. Flamengo at times were fabulous, were fluent, were their fantastic best. Um, and Gremio, listen, they've they've grabbed a goal towards the end of the contest and. They're still in the tie. Flamengo's form is ridiculous. They're 10 points clear at the top of the standings in Brazil. And this is another one where, okay, Flamengo don't have a two-goal cushion and Gremio do have great recent history in the Libertadores. But, Mr. Wilson, Flamengo at the Maracanã in this kind of form with these players, they should be safe. No, 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 no. Let's not <laughs> let's not start saying that this is a tie that is like the other one and they should be fine and everything like this because... Gremio, as we saw in the first leg, and I know they're at home in the first leg, if you can't snuff out Everton for 90 minutes, there is a chance that he's going to do damage to you, even though Flamengo are, without a doubt, the best side in Brazil right now and probably the best side in South America right now. I would say they edge it over River Plate in terms of... If if you had Gachado at Flamengo, oh, oh, that would be a tasty combination. Mm. But unfortunately, it's uh, Jorge Jesus, which is... Who's Still doing a great job, obviously. That, yeah, absolutely. Still a name that gives you the thickest tongue in your mouth, as you're saying. It's so weird. It's such a difficult one at times to get out. But he has come in and, and done a fantastic job of, of getting this Flamengo side really polished. I mean, you think about the gap that they've closed out from Palmeiras, who were leading the uh, Brazilian league by, what, five points going yeah. into the Copa America break? And now flip the script and Flamengo are 10 points clear at this point in the season. They've just been on fire. But if you can't, stop Everton from doing what Everton does like in his Iron Robin classic I'm going on the left, I'm going to cut inside on the right I'm going to cause problems and he makes things happen and yeah you can talk about the Maracanã and I know we're going to come on to this in a second that there is a hindrance to that atmosphere as well as a positive that comes from it there is an air of expectation about Flamengo fans that we're going to do this and that's always a problem and added pressure on a group of players who let's face it they wasted chances against Gremio. This should be out of sight, this tie. But they didn't. They wasted chances. Gabriel Barbosa tries too hard in the final third when he thinks the game is on his shoulders. And actually, it took the two cool, calm composure of the likes of Bruno Enrique and uh, Arascaeta to get the job done and give them that away goal in the first leg. I mean, if they can't, if Gremio can't stop Bruno Enrique from running the show, then there's problems. But let's not pretend this is going to be a walk in the park in any way, shape or form. Uh, for Flamengo. No, and absolutely. And also, Gremio, listen, this is their third straight Libertadores semi-final. They know exactly how to knock the really big boys out of the competition. And Flamengo are 
the biggest, arguably the biggest sides in Brazil. I, I know what you mean. It's not similar to the, to, to the other, other side of the draw in many ways. It still feels like it's very much game on. Um, Oli, what's your deal with Gabriel Barbosa? Gabby goal. I mean, the statistics speak for themselves. He's being compared with Adriano this week. Come on, man. Give him a break. Yeah, I mean, hyperbole and everything around comparing him to Adriano. Let's Look, he's an excellent striker and he's a very good finisher, but he's still very young. He's still very raw around the edges and he's far too emotional at times. You know, there's a reason why he's not worked out so far in European mm -hmm. football. And it's fantastic he's been able to galvanise his career a little bit more as a youngster because you never want to see good talent fade away. But you also want to see talent mature. And at the moment, I'm not seeing a mature player out there on the pitch. I'm seeing a player that gets frustrated and caught up in the in the moment with his emotions. He's easily rattled by defenders. I mean, that I incident mean, with Walter with... Kahneman, exactly in the first leg, where he's, he's unnecessarily pushed uh, the Argentine centre-back for Gremio. And, and as a result, mm. Flamengo's goal was ruled out. And that's the wily experience of, a, of an Argentinian centre-back who knows what he's doing at this level, getting on the shoulders of someone like Gabriel Barbosa, who is perhaps still just kind of living in the moment. The other thing is, is that, you know, he is living in that moment and he is seen as the centrepiece of this Flamengo attack that is, is so good. But that means that he feels the weight of expectation even more than any of the other players in this Flamengo side. So that's what I need to see. I need to see a cool, ruthless centre-forward rather than an emotive, erratic centre-forward. Both of those two players will produce goals, but one of those players will have more longevity in their career, I think. Yeah, nicely put. And Gabby Goal, very strongly linked once again to Europe this week, actually. I think a lot of European clubs could do a lot worse than taking a punt on Gabriel Barbosa from some of the prices I've seen uh, branded around contextually, I think. I think he'd be a very good punt for a Premier League side or another another decent side in Europe, you know. Really? What level at the Premier League does, does Gabriel Barbosa shine out for you? I think, he'd obviously never play in the Championship because I think there's an ego there that would never let him. Yeah, no, I think I think he's I think he's a Premier League player, Ollie. Everton kind of level? <sighs> I, I I don't I mean he's not I don't think he could play for a top six side in the Premier League, but I think he's a Premier League footballer, definitely. No I mean Gabriel no, as you say, no chance he's going to the championship. I think he's a he's a top half player for Europe's top four leagues. And that's oh, as he is. That's as he is. If you can pacify the reckless side to him, then then he's potentially a top six player. I think that recklessness, I mean, I know he's been at Inter Milan before and he's on loan from there at the moment. I'd, I'd stick him in the centre forward role at somewhere like Fiorentina. You know, Inter have changed and improved dramatically in the last few years mm. and, and probably don't need someone like him and Lautaro Martinez is, is excellent there but yeah somewhere like Fiorentina and Serie A because Serie A does thrive a little bit more on the erratic volatile striker whereas the Premier League doesn't seem to appreciate that sort of attitude I mean Diego Costa scored goals at Chelsea but at the end of the day he didn't end up he hasn't stayed in England too long and he's gone back yeah and I think Gabriel Barbosa wouldn't make any friends in English football that's for sure I don't think he's going to make any friends in Brazilian football either particularly as there's a a lot of fans that seem to dislike Flamengo, despite them being the best supported side in Brazil. Um, yeah, I yeah, think also, I think that failure to quote unquote make it into Milan, that, that can't be held over your head as a comprehensive reason why he couldn't make it elsewhere. I'm not saying that you said that, but, you know, I, I mm. think a lot of players haven't, yeah, someone like Coutinho, or there's a lot of players that haven't shown their best at Inter Milan over the past few years. There's, there's a lot of inconsistency at that club. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a lot of players that just don't fit certain styles and moves in their careers are not 
well-timed either when you look at perhaps being too young for a big move to a big-name club like that. And the list is kind of off the charts of players that have moved to, to big-name clubs and, and then never really made it anywhere else and then had to go back to lesser leagues or different countries to go and get restart their career. And that's what Gabriel Barbosa is doing at Flamengo right now. And that's why he's attracting attention because he's hit a reset button and he's now playing in the second biggest game of the year in South American football with potentially the biggest game to come. And he is the star centre forward, but he's not the star player in this team. And he needs to learn that. He needs to relax. Just relax a bit mm. more. Let Bruno Enrique and Azkaya sure. to do their thing. And he let, just let, finished. Yep. Let Vitinho come off the bench and, and create plenty of chances with his pace and quality. But then also organise your defence and make sure that either Rafinha or Felipe Luis, whoever is marking Everton, don't allow Everton to just do what he does and find a little bit of space. Because even though I'd, I don't necessarily think he'd make it in Europe in any way, shape or form, I admire Everton so much for his desire. I mean, you look at the game against Palmeiras, the, the, just the drive and desire and persistence to do what needed to be done to get Gremio through. And he does carry this team, but he, has, he does it with a, almost a quiet air of just getting his head down and doing it and getting on mm -hmm. with it. He doesn't make as, big a, as much of a hoopla and a fuss as Gabriel Barbosa does. And that's why he's so dangerous. Yeah, and I think... I think if Flamenco keep Everton quiet, then you keep Gremio quiet. I'm not saying anything new there. That's that's well established. But he really is their star man. So be interested to see how that one plays out. And I think it's a good time, Ollie, just to hear from our man, Pedro. Uh, Pedro is uh, a very good friend and a colleague of me and Ollie. And uh, via Rio, he is in London. And he sent us, uh, he sent us a little message talking about the Maracanã, talking about Flamengo, talking about Gabi Gol. Georgia Jesus and everything in between. Let's hear from him now. Without a doubt, I'd probably say 2009 was the closest you get. But even then, if I were to compare position by position, I'd still pick the 2019 team. And the numbers, they don't lie either. Gabigol has already scored the same amount of goals Adriano did by the end of that season. I mean, of course, I'd still pick 2009 Adriano. But still, collectively, this team has surpassed my expectations which, of course, as a Flamengo supporter, it was ridiculously unrealistic to start with. Um, of course, it'd be too much to compare it to the glory days of the 80s, but even my uncle will tell me that watching this team play reminds him of those days. It's super cool. I mean, there's a reason Maracanã is and will always be the home of football in South America, and we, the Flamengo supporters, are the righteous owners of this majestic temple. Um, no, but seriously, I'm good at I'll be missing it, man. I genuinely cannot recommend it enough for you to experience this game at the ground if you're a football fan. Um, regarding pressure, I think it's mostly on Grêmio, in my opinion. I mean, as you can see on the first leg, Flamengo has a more complete team. Uh, of course, this may not mean much. They're an incredibly strong side. They have recently won this tournament. And a player like Everton Cebolinha can easily make the difference. But there's a lot of experience on our side, too. Players that have played Champions League Finals, World Cup. Uh, anyway, it'll be an amazing game to watch. I'm really excited for it. Jesus has made a huge, huge difference. He brought a very current European style to what I believe was a very frustrating Brazilian mindset of playing. We haven't progressed our football like you guys in Europe have, and it's no surprise we haven't won against an European side after the group stage of a World Cup since 2002. And lots of teams in Brazil are a mirror of that. You know, they'll play for possession, but with side passes and slow build-ups, it's all very lethargic. And Jesus brought a whole new spin to it. It's incredible to watch. Also, I don't really think it's about the expensive players, which, don't get me wrong, 
of course it helps massively but what he's gotten out of players like Adon is phenomenal you know what you see is a team that plays high up the pitch with a lot of intensity and that even when substitutes that may not have the same quality come in they manage to fit in into the tactics so Pedro there Oli talking about how this is the best flamenco sides in a generation it's the most excited flamenco side in a generation 10 points clear in the Brazilian standings. I think, are we at the point now where Flamengo don't go on and win the Brazilian league and the Libertadores double? It's a disappointing season for them. I think the... Given the money they're spent, given their quality. Yeah, I think the uh, the the target they've put on their own back is uh, is to do the double at the end of the day in league and continental competition. The Libertadores, much like in Argentina, comes first and foremost. And I think anybody would take throwing away a 10-point lead at the top of the table if they yeah. eventually found Gloria Turner and, and won the Libertadores in Santiago, Chile at the end of November. But to throw, if they don't, and then to throw away a 10-point lead um, would be a nightmare scenario for them. And to get just the league would be a case of, okay, well, at least it means you're guaranteed to be trying again next year and you better do it next year in the Libertadores because, you know... Uh, it's not good enough, is it? I mean, you've, between the lines, there, you've, you're absolutely right. I mean, Flamengo 10 points clear, so the league in the sense is in the bag, you know, they... they They've at least mentally, it should be done. Mm. So they they need to win the Libertadores. I mean, we've, we've, I know we've spoken about how flamenco fans they're already planning the the Club World Cup trips, and um, they, they haven't won the Libertadores since 1981. But they, they already feel like the names on the trophy this year, and they want to go on and, and compete in that World Club Cup, which is so important to South American nations in a way that perhaps it's not quite valued in the same uh, status to European clubs. I know, uh, I know that Pedro was very scared about Gremio though, because I did. I did catch him on on Saturday, and he did say <laughs> ah, okay, okay. he did say like I am still worried about this. I mean, maybe you know, a bit like Nico. There's a bit of bravado on the mic, but but off the mic, there there is a bit of fear there as well. That as <laughs> oh, as you've mentioned, yeah. that Gremio can do it consistently at this level. Yeah, I think um, yeah, listen, Pedro's a more humble than most uh, Flamengo fan as well. <laughs> he was talking about uh, when I pushed him on the. Uh, the question of whether it was the best team in the generation, he was talking about that great side that Flamengo had with uh, Adriano as well. So, yep, um, confidence, but uh, conservative confidence, perhaps, from the Flamengo fans. Uh, what about the Maracanã then, Oli? It's, uh, it's one of, well, between the Maracanã and La Bombonera, they're the two most iconic stadiums in South America. Uh, and and we, we touched on it very briefly. Obviously, the ground will be bouncing. The atmosphere will be there to, to help Flamengo, but it does come with maybe a shade of a hindrance just because it it really doubles down on the pressure of you better not mess this up now, guys. If you're an underdog and you're in a stadium like the American R, and you, that's your home ground or it's packed with your fans if it's there for, say, a cup final or something, but if you're the underdog and you fall behind and the fans roar you on, like there's a, this is a very odd... Uh, similarity here to kind of go down, but I'm looking forward to it. But I remember the FA Cup final that Cardiff played against was it Manchester United many moons ago in the early two mm thousands, -hmm. and I remember watching that on TV and Cardiff still just would go in hell for leather, time and time again, and you could visibly see when the crowd roared, the Cardiff players just had an extra step in them, and it was pushing them on, pushing them on trying to find a way back into that game. And that's when an atmosphere works wonderfully well. But if you're at home and things start going badly in a ground like the Maracanã, you know, 
the cheers are there, but there's also an air of like, all right, we're cheering you on, so up your game here, lads. Come on. Mm-hmm. And it's not all a emotive link between the fans and the players trying to drive their team on. It's the, you're letting us down here on home soil. What's going on here, boys? Like, we're doing our bit. You need to do yours. And that's what I meant when I was talking earlier about how the Maracanã can be a help or a hindrance with that atmosphere and with that pressure. Because there will be the expectation of, you've got an away goal and now you're coming home. So just get it done, lads. And and they'll be roaring. They'll be rocking in the Maracanã for sure. And the uh, everybody will, of course, be in red and black supporting Flamengo. But it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the thing that pulls them through. Flamengo could do with an early goal just to get that confidence early in the fans that, yeah, we are going to do this. This is going to be fine. Because if Gremio score early, that away goal nullifies what's happened in the first leg and we're really at game one. Yeah, and then it goes through the Flamengo players' minds, you know, all the chances they missed in that first leg as well. Really could have finished five or six. Well, what do you think then, Oli? Flamengo to go through? I mean, you're pretty brave to back against them from this position. I, it would be brave, yes. Um, but I'll, I'm going to say a 2-1 victory for Flamengo. I think Gremio scores still. I think it's a yep, I think okay. it's a really nervy affair. I think uh I think Flamengo will t- take a 2-0 lead, but Grêmio will score one and then it will be an all-out battle for the final 20 minutes or so. And it won't be it won't be fun to be a Flamengo fan watching that. I think we might see in both of these two semi-final second legs exactly why River Plate and exactly why Flamengo are comfortably the two best sides on the continent. And I think both might go through quite comfortably. Fair. Oh, I'm also going to... But... Oh, go on. Yeah. Go on, go on. No, 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 no. Go for it. Oh, I'm going to say we're going to get a red card in both games. Okay. Yeah. Somebody's getting sent off <laughs> in each one of these games. And to be honest, I'm so close to put it on to Gabby Barbosa gets sent off for Flamengo and misses <laughs> the final. And it's like Gascoigne-style tears because he can't keep his head together. And then Emmanuel, Emmanuel Mass for uh, for Boca sees red as well. <laughs> I, I think I think Gabby Gold's going to put his finger to his lips, Ollie, uh, when he scores at the Maracanã on Wednesday night. And you'll be the subject of his uh, <laughs> of, of his delight. He would have heard the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores pod. And he won't be happy with some of the criticism. He'll lift up the shirt and it'll be a he'll have a T-shirt on with my face on underneath and he'll start shushing it. Yeah, I like that. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm in his head though, mate. I'm in his head. Yeah, yeah. No, you say what you see and, you know, you're seeing a disciplined player with the potential for a lot more. I think that's totally fair. Yeah, it, but I do think we'll end up with a Flamenco River final. I hope we do as well. That'll be the best thing for uh, for South American football. Would that... I know this is pushing on a bit. This is something for the next pod for sure. So we'll only touch on it very briefly only. But... Would that transcend the continent? Would people in... Well, it's certainly... We know that in Asia and America and other parts of the world, they're interested. Would that pique a European football fan's interest? I don't think it... A River Plate Flamengo final? Or, or is there nothing on this continent that can puncture European football and it's, it's, it's dominant? I'd, I'd love to say you can, but I don't think you could. Uh, even... It's, it's blown my mind that I've sat down with some footballing experts around this country in the last... In the UK in the last few weeks... And some of them don't even know what happened last year in the Copa yeah. Libertadores about that game being moved to Madrid. Some of them were surprised when I said, yeah, because remember they they had to move the final to Madrid, the second leg, because of all what happened in Buenos Aires. And they were like, in Madrid? Really? Why did it go there? What's, what's, what, what do you mean? Like, people just didn't know. 
Yeah. And that was that was and a huge just... story that the English press, you know, mm. sent journalists out to. Yeah, it's it is I've also found it amazing how what is just huge stories on this continent. I guess it should be expected. Europe has the Champions League and that is the best quality of football there is in the world. And there's not enough time or space in your average football fan's calendar to, to take interest in in the Libertadores, which is a shame because it's such a fabulous well, competition. Well, thankfully, we've got your best mate, your new best mate, Johnny Vaughan, who is uh, shedding some Fine. light on it at least <laughs> and uh, trying to transcend the continent and bring the South American game to Europe. And quite rightly so. Big thanks to Pedro and, of course, David Windsor for chatting all things Libertadores this week. Remember, you can find the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, which is our host, Spotify, and many, many more. Like and subscribe, leave a review, and remember to catch us every single time we fire an episode out. You can email us at willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us all on Twitter. David Windsor is at David T. Windsor. I'm O underscore J underscore Wilson. Joel Richards is at Joel underscore Richards. And Peter Coates is at Golazo Argentino. Send us your questions using the hashtag, hashtag LibertadoresPod on Twitter and a big thanks as always to uh, our intro music performed by Juanitos the song Funkula Funkula